Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Maybe baby Jesus is missing because one of your kids stole baby Jesus like ours did and can't remember where he put it. Maybe Tucker or something, I'm not sure. But, you know, it's just there's a missing piece or two and you're not sure. But, you know, there's a little lean-to and there's a... You know, Mary and Joseph are there, and there's the manger, and maybe there's baby Jesus laying there, and then you maybe see an animal or two that's laying there or standing nearby, and it's a horse or a sheep or a goat, or maybe they're laid down and their legs are tucked up underneath them, and perhaps you see in your nativity set, you see some shepherds, and they're, they're standing there and, you know, kind of looking, or maybe they're knelt down and they're worshiping, and maybe you have some wise men, because remember in another passage we see that wise men or kings or magi from the east would come to worship the child, and so we see all these different characters of the nativity, but what we just read here in Luke chapter 2 doesn't mention all of those, and I don't want to mess up your theology today, but the nativity that you have, if it's anything like I just described, it probably is a, uh, it pulls from a lot of different places to make the scene that you see. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3 is really the only place, and it's a prophetic verse, it means it's telling of something that hasn't happened yet. It's telling about the idea that the Savior would come and that there would be animals, there would be oxen uh, that were there nearby. And that's the only place that we see any semblance to talk about animals being there at the manger. Other than the fact, you know, shepherds, they, they might have brought some sheep with them, or maybe they rode in on some donkeys and so they were with them there. Maybe that's how it happened. We do know that they were in the barn or the stable, and so perhaps there were some animals left over that the innkeeper had just sent back there, and that's where they were kept. We don't know because it's not spelled out in Scripture. Otherwise, you see the shepherds are there, and so maybe the wise men are there too, but really in that story, in that telling, we understand that the wise men may have shown up later, perhaps as late as two years later than the shepherds. And so now we go, okay, well, my nativity set, I think, is broken. But really, I'm not trying to mess up your nativity set at all because what we do know, whether it looks like what I've described or anything else, we understand that these different characters that play some part in the Christmas story, they're trying to be uh, captured in this one snapshot of the story being played out. What we can know for sure is that it was messy. It was messy. I mean, just, you know, if animals were there or animals had been there, Animals leave traces of themselves, you know, and talking. I mean, it's just, it probably stunk. And shepherds, they don't really smell that great either. And, you know, you've got this baby born. And, and so there's, there's mess involved in this whole scene. I remember when my wife, Corey, and I, we, we have four kids. And I remember when, when we were at the hospital having our kids. And, yes, I did say when we were there having our kids. Because I was there, thank you very much. I didn't really do a whole lot. I mean, I was there, but... But I remember that they wanted to keep that hospital room clean. They really wanted to try to make sure that everything was clean and that there, you know, there was no way that, you know, infection could get to the baby. There weren't a lot of germs. Like, they cleaned. Every single time it seemed that Corey got up and went anywhere, whether it was to the restroom or out into the hallway to take a walk. Somebody came in and kind of changed the sheets or made the bed or wiped the counters down or swept up the, you know, and I, I feel bad for us fathers, really. Because we're there and we're active participants as much as they'll let us be. But when we showed up to the hospital, like Corey, they showed her like this luxurious hospital bed. And they pretty much showed me the extension of the windowsill is really what they said I could sleep on. And so I remember, I think it was Branson when Branson was born. He's our second. I remember we showed up and 
I was exhausted. I got to be honest. I had worked really hard. And, I, you know, I mean, I didn't have the baby. But, I mean, I, again, I was encouraging. It was really, really, really sapped my strength out of me. And so Corey had gotten up after having the baby, and she went to, like, take a shower. And I had been laying on, again, what can only be maybe a little more comfortable than the plywood that's laying here. Probably not much more comfortable than this. And so when she got up, I took that moment to go ahead and lay down in the hospital bed just to catch a few minutes of rest while she was out of the room. The lady tried to come change the sheets, but I was laying there and I was not getting up. I just wasn't going to do it. Corey gets out of the shower. She comes back in the room and she looks at me and she was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Seriously? I'm like, baby, I'm exhausted. I don't even know how you're standing up right right now. Like, I am exhausted. But here's what I know. The manger scene was not that clean. It wasn't as clean as these hospital rooms that we visited now four times to have these children. The manger scene was a mess. And here's what I thought about as I thought about you on this Christmas weekend. Perhaps there are parts of your life that seem like they're a mess. Maybe for you, as you came in today, and Christmas is supposed to be the season and this time of family and togetherness, but maybe your family's got a lot of messiness to it. And like, yeah, you're supposed to get together as family, but you kind of hope they don't stay very long because the longer they stay, the the more chance there is that a fight's going to break out because there's just mess there. Maybe in your marriage there is mess. Maybe your relationships with your kids or your parents or other people in your lives, there's just messiness there in those relationships. Perhaps in your finances, there is just mess there. And you're you're praying you can make it through Christmas, but you hate for January to come because you got to clean up the mess that you've made trying to do Christmas. Maybe your faith is a mess. Maybe there's some type of addictive behavior or hidden sin or a lack of trust in God, and you just can't seem to ever put it all together and make it where it seems like, man, it's just working for me, like it seems to be working for other people. But if you noticed a little while ago, most all of us raised our hand to say we are a work in progress. And so today, if you came on this Christmas weekend and there's any part of your life that you might describe in some way as messy or as a mess, I've got good news for you. You're not alone. And you're not alone because the Christmas story itself was a mess. And it's not the only place in Scripture that we see that play out. In Genesis chapter 1, it's the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, and really the first verse or two of the Bible. We see another scene play out that was messy. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God created the heavens and the earth, and then he stepped into the mess that was the earth because the earth was formless and void and dark. If ever there was a definition of chaos, it would be some uh, conglomeration of those three words. Formless, void, dark, Because we see a mess there in Genesis 1. I love how the Amplified Version says it, where it says, The earth was formless and void, or a waste and emptiness, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was formless. It had no purpose, no structure to it. It was void. It was empty. It was dark. It lacked light. And maybe maybe your life today, could be described by one of those words. Maybe it's formless. It seems to lack structure. It seems to lack purpose on some level. 
maybe some aspect of your life, your marriage or your relationships or your finances. There's no structure. There's no form. There's no purpose to it. Maybe you would say, you know, I think there's void in my life. There's an emptiness there that cannot be described. I don't even know how to describe it. I just feel empty sometimes. I just feel like there's something missing in me. There's a void in me that I cannot explain. Or maybe you would say there's darkness. Maybe it's just a a pervasive darkness over your life in general or just some areas of your life that seem to just have these dark places where there's a lack of light and a lack of joy that would shine into those places. Maybe there's an emotional or psychological issue that you face or you struggle with and it just seems like that darkness overwhelms you from time to time and you're not even sure how to deal with it because you can identify with Genesis 1 and 2 where it was formless and void and dark. And if you were to step into the story of Genesis chapter 1 on that day, that specific day, and you see that it's formless and it's void and it's dark, and you looked around, you would go, there is no way that this is the plan of God. There's no way. If you just kind of press pause on the story right there, there's no way that you step into that and go, yeah, I see what God's doing here. I really see how the formlessness is going to be formed and how the void is going to be filled and how the darkness is going to shine. I I really see what God's doing here. Same thing with the Christmas story. If you stepped into the scene in a barn with a baby in a manger and a virgin teenage girl and her fiancé at that point and shepherds and kings with gifts that make no sense and animals roaming about, you go, no, there's no way that God is doing anything here. There's no way that this is the plan of God. This is the purpose of God. There's no way. Because if you just stepped into the story on that day and you just hit pause and you go, no, no, this is messy. Whether you're in the Christmas story or Genesis 1, you just go, this is messy. It's chaotic. It doesn't seem to make sense. I don't know what God is up to here. That's not the only places in Scripture that we see mess and chaos. There's another place in Scripture that felt a little bit like that. Jesus, who came to the earth as a baby, would eventually grow up into a child and then a teenager, then a young adult, into a man, and at 33 years old, after living a blameless life, he was arrested. He was arrested and eventually beaten, and he was put onto a cross between common criminals to die a very common death. And as he hung there on that day, After having been beaten, he was bleeding. He was crying out to the Father, and darkness was closing in. If you were standing there at the foot of the cross, it was a mess. And there's no way in that moment, as you looked up to see Jesus hanging there, that you would have gone, yeah, I totally see what God is doing. There's no way. Because it was a mess. It was chaos. People were screaming at Jesus. Some of the same ones that had worshipped him just a week before were now screaming and crying out and celebrating his death. There's no way if you would have hit pause on the story in that moment that you would have gone, yeah, 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 I see it. I see what God is doing. Because it was a mess. There's no way you could see what God was accomplishing in that moment. But you can't press pause in the middle of the story. You can't. I mean, I love the pause button on my TV at home, but I'm usually just pressing pause to run, go get more chips and come back and finish the story because I don't stop stories in the middle. I have a bad habit that even if it's a bad movie, like the storyline's terrible, the acting's terrible, like I want to see it to the end because now I'm invested in the story. I want to know what happens. I've watched a bunch of those on Hallmark this season. 
It's like, I can tell you in the first two minutes, like, they're going to get together. I don't understand it, but they're going to get together. And that girl's a terrible actress. I'm not sure how she's making a living doing this. But, man, I got to see it through to the end. I got to know how it's going to play out. I, I got to do it. I got to see it to the end because I can't just press pause and just walk away. No, no, no. You got to see stories through to completion. And so if you're standing there in Genesis 1, verse 2, or you're standing there next to the manger, or if you're standing at the foot of the cross, or maybe in your life today, you go, I'm just, there's a mess in my marriage, in my family, in my finances, in my purpose, on my job. There's chaos and there's mess, and I just want to give up and throw in the towel and be done with it. Here's what I would say to you. Keep going. If you will allow the story to play out, it becomes clearer what God is trying to accomplish. God stepped into the messiness and the chaos of Genesis 1, and he created everything, including me and you. He created every living being. He created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that we see because he's a God that is creative God sent Jesus to that manger as the hope of the world, the Savior for mankind. And even though that's not what you and I think that a conquering king would show up and look like, that was the plan of God, that he sent Jesus to the earth in the form of a baby. And then that same baby would grow up to become a man who would eventually be arrested. And God had to let Jesus endure the cross so that he could actually be our Savior. The story continued to play out, and it gives us hope to know that even when our life seems like it's a mess, God is actually still working behind the scenes to accomplish the great things that he desires to do. Romans chapter 8 tells us that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He is working all things together. Together, even the messiness, even the chaos that you and I cannot see. How in the world is this going to play out? God's got a plan. There is hope. And sometimes hope comes in the form of a manger and a baby and animals and shepherds and wise men. And it doesn't seem to make sense. But don't hit pause on the story. Let it play out because God is doing something. Even in the mess. Because God can use your mess. God can use my mess. The reality is that the enemy wants to try to do something different. The truth today is that the enemy wants to use the mess of your life to ruin the rest of your life. He wants to use the mess of your life to ruin the rest of your life. Your past, your guilt, your shame, the things that you've done that you're so afraid of anybody finding out. The enemy's whispering in your ear, you got to stop now. You're not good enough. Quit going to church. Quit going to your life group. Quit trying to chase after God. Quit trying to make your marriage work out. No, no, no. Just it, this, is, this is it. You've done it. There's nothing else that you can accomplish. He wants to use the mess of your life to ruin the rest of your life. But God wants to turn your mess into a message. That's what he wants to do. He wants to accomplish something great. He wants to work all things together because you love him and you're called according to his purposes for something greater. He wants to use your mess and turn it into a message. I told you about my brother earlier. He's two and a half years younger than me. And when we were growing up, 
Saturday mornings looked something like this. We would wake up. We would usually wake up to the sound of music, not the movie, the sound of music, actually just the sound of music being played throughout our house. Dad would turn on some kind of, you know, high-octane something that would get our attention so that we could go and help him clean the house or clean the garage, which we did way more than I thought we needed to. And, you know, then when we would get done doing that project, we could go in and we could watch cartoons or we could watch sports on television or whatever it was. And there were about 900 less channels then than there are now. And so just the 9 or 12 channels that we had, we kind of flipped through them and you'd realize nothing was on. You'd go play and you'd come back 30 minutes later to see if something new had come on that you could watch. And so we would turn the channel to find something. And there was always this guy on TV on one of the channels that we had. Anybody ever heard of the guy named Bob Ross? Anybody know Bob Ross? Some of you. If you don't know Bob Ross, you're missing out, okay? Bob Ross is an amazing artist. He's no longer with us, but he has a YouTube channel now with like 9,000 videos that you can go watch and catch up on the things of Bob Ross. But he would start these episodes with a blank canvas, and they're going to show you kind of a speed, speeded up version here of just the first few minutes of an episode. He would start with a blank canvas, and he would just start to put random color up there and just kind of swish it all together and swirl it around. I'm not an artist at all, but he would take brushes, and then he would take knives, and he would take all kinds of things and shape it into what he wanted it to be. As you're watching this for like the first 28 and a half minutes, you're like, I have no idea what Bob Ross is trying to do on that canvas. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. And he would just keep adding color and he would talk to you in that really cheerful, joyful, kind of creepy voice that he had. And you would listen to him and you'd be like, I don't think I'm supposed to watch this, but I just can't take my eyes off of it. And he would just keep painting and keep painting and keep painting and adding colors and adding things and putting bright colors to the dark colors that were already there and adding things and adding things and adding things. And I want to show you what his finished product looks like to what you've been watching here. Go ahead and flip to the picture, guys. That's what he created. What started out as a blank canvas ended up looking like that. I, I don't even know how he did it. Except... That the artist steps up to a blank canvas and where you and I see a blank canvas and throughout the process where you and I see a mess, the artist has a vision. He has an idea in mind. She has a picture in her head of what she's trying to accomplish, what the finished product should look like. The same is true for your life and for mine. The Bible tells us that you are God's workmanship. You and I are God's masterpiece. He had an original plan, an original idea in mind. And even though in the middle of the story, even as he's painting your life and painting my life, even as he's trying to accomplish things in our lives, if we were to pause the story, if I stopped an episode of Bob Ross painting at 8 minutes or 18 minutes, or 28 minutes, I would only get a partial picture of the finished product. And if you stop your story now, it's not what God intended. You say, yeah, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm walking through right now. You can't understand all the mess of my life. You're right, I probably can't, but here's what I know. God's not finished with you yet. And you know how I know that? Because you still got breath in your lungs. You're here today. You're here today. You could get up and get here. And so I believe that as long as you're kicking and screaming, no matter how hard you're kicking or screaming or how little you're kicking or screaming, if you have breath in your lungs, God is not through with you yet. And here's the deal. In the middle of the mess, 
the middle of the chaos. You know why it looks like a mess sometimes? Because the painting of my life, I've actually kind of looked at it and I've gone, yeah, that's, there's no way that's God's plan. There's no way that's what God's trying to do. And so I go and I just say, hey, can you stop for a second? God, Bob Ross in this metaphor, can you stop for just a second? And I take the brush back and I start painting it myself because I think I know better than him. And I start adding color where I think it's missing and I add in a relationship over here that I thought would, you know, be good for my life and I make decisions over here that I thought would be what I needed to do and I do these things over here because it seems like there's something missing and so I I fill it in and man, it's a bigger mess than it was before and there comes a point in the story where I just say, you know what, I'm so sorry, God, and I apologize that I took the brush back and so here, will you take the brush back and will you do something and he just works out Romans 8 again where he takes all things and he works them together and he just makes this incredible, beautiful picture out of the mess that I've made myself just keeps working and he keeps adding pieces and he keeps adding things that I didn't even know I was missing and God just keeps working and he keeps working and he keeps working and what I would say to you today is don't pause the story, don't give up don't quit, don't get out now stay in it I know you're walking through a rough road right now, I know for some of you like you're ready to throw in the towel you cannot imagine it getting worse and I would say to you, you also can't imagine it getting better the way God intended it to be in your life. Hold out hope. Stay with it. Trust God that he knows what he's doing. You know, throughout my life, I've heard people described as overcomers. People of faith, people in the church, and they just, yeah, you know, they're an overcomer. And I'm like, I want to be that. I want to do that. I want people to call me an overcomer, but it implies something. It implies that you stuck it out long enough to actually overcome something. You know who doesn't get called an overcomer? The person that quit in the middle. Keep going. Keep fighting. Like, I'm a competitive person, and so, like, I want to be victorious when I'm playing sports and church league softball and all the things that I get to do. I want to be victorious. I want to find victory in my faith, in my life, in my relationships, in my decisions. I want to be victorious. But it implies that in the battles that I'm fighting, I stay in it long enough to win. And the promises of scripture is that you and I eventually do win because we're on his team and he wins in the end. And so you just got to stick it out. You just got to stay in there. You take some punches, you get knocked down, but you get back up because God wants to help you find victory in your life. You want to be an overcomer? Keep fighting. You want to be victorious? Keep fighting. The only way to be called an overcomer or to be victorious is to find victory and to overcome something. Keep trusting God through the mess. There's hope. And there's hope for you this Christmas season because of a baby in a manger. Maybe the answer's not going to look like you thought it would. Maybe the story's not playing out like you thought. Maybe the answer's going to look different. Maybe you thought it was going to be a conquering king conquering king showed up looking like a baby and I don't know that babies strike fear in the heart of opposing kings some of us are scared of them but I don't know that that's the way we would have written the story and so maybe today if your marriage is a mess victory may look a little different than you think you know what victory looks like you know what overcoming looks like in a marriage that's a mess choosing to stay married one more day, one more week, one more month. Stay in it. Stay in it. Finally agree to go to counseling. Say you're sorry. 
forgive when they say they're sorry, even when you hurt, even when you don't want to. It dug down deep. Don't give up. You can overcome. You know what mess, the, the life that you've got with your kids, the relationship, you know what overcoming looks like and victory looks like? In the, just picking up the phone today, even though you're worried about what the conversation will look like, and just saying Merry Christmas. I love you. I know we haven't talked in a while, and I'm sorry for that. As much as it's my fault, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for what I've done. Send the text. Make the phone call today. Because even though right now it looks like a mess, God wants to turn it into a message. The enemy wants to take your mess and ruin the rest of your life, but God wants to turn it into a message. He wants to use it for his good because he can work all things together, all things, even the messiest, most chaotic places of your life. God can turn it around right now and help you to find victory and help you to overcome in ways that you cannot imagine. That's the hope of Christmas, that Jesus in the form of a baby came in a manger. And so when you leave today, don't worry, don't get hung up on how God is going to show up. Just know that God is going to show up into the mess of your circumstances. Trust him today. So here's how we're gonna close our time together for some of you today, you might say to me, Jeremy, that sounds great. I mean, I, I'm here, I hear you, and that sounds great. I, I think I understand what you're saying, and I want to be a part of that, but I, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe at some point in my past, I prayed a prayer. I, I thought maybe I was, but I know for sure that all I was trying to do was just kind of, you know, not go to hell. But there's more to life than that. There's more to faith than that. And so if you say, hey, you know what? I know for sure that I'm not living in relationship with Jesus Christ and I need him to be not just the savior of my life and forgive my sins, but I want him to be the Lord of my life and lead and guide and direct me. I wanna give him the brush back. And I wanna say, God, help just you know, paint the picture that you see in your mind when you look, up, look at me. And I want you to control my life and lead and guide me. And if that's you today, in just a minute, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to respond to the free gift of salvation that's available to you and to ask God to be the Lord and savior of your life. And then we're going to take communion together. I can think of no better way for us to celebrate the hope of Christmas than to remember the sacrifice of that baby turned into a man who went to the cross on our behalf. And when we do, we're going to hold these elements in our hand. We're going to say, God, thank you for all that you did for me. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And then if you've made a decision to follow Christ, you can fill it out on the card and take it to the information center because we want to know. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to celebrate Christmas. But when you celebrate Christmas, you're going to do it this in mind, that we have hope. No matter how messy your life is, we have hope. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment before we close today. Nobody looking around. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, I know that I need to ask the Lord to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need him to forgive my sins, but I also need to give him the brush back and I need to let him lead and guide my life and to draw it the way that he sees it. And I need to give up control and trust him to accomplish the things that he desires to accomplish in and through me. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right where you're at? Thank you so much. And put it right back down. Thank you so much. Several hands in this service. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, God. We love you today. And we thank you for the people that have lifted their hands today. Your word tells us that there's an incredible celebration in heaven when even one person comes to find life in Christ. And so God, today, there is a party going on that's bigger than anything we'll throw tomorrow for Christmas because there are people that are trusting you with their life today and that never gets old. That's why we exist. We exist to help people take that step 
so that their life and the generations of their family will be changed forever as they trust you in greater measure. And so God, thank you so much that on this Christmas Eve Sunday, people have chosen to accept you as the Lord and Savior of their life. We rebuke the enemy now of any way that the enemy would try to make the mess of their life ruin the rest of their life. And God, we ask you right now to help them to find victory, to help them be overcomers. God, let them find victory because you are enough. Help them to quit striving on their own to find the victory that they seek, but God, to trust you for the victory of their life. God, I believe you can accomplish great things. And so God, we thank you today for all that you desire to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 